And yeah, like while we were like in the middle of the Navajo Nation with no uh, uh, cell phone connectivity or anything, we stopped at a Burger King that is like right in the middle. Uh, they had like the TV on in there. We connected to our, you know, to the Wi-Fi and it looked like the world was ending. Uh, my friend, like his flight back to Europe was canceled and I had a lot of messages like from family members and from my partner telling me like we have to, you know, close the school and like uh, move all the classes online. So I spent like the rest of uh, my vacation in the hotel, like working on this. Welcome to Embracing Digital Transformation, where we investigate effective change leveraging people, process, and technology. This is Darren Pulsford, Chief Solution Architect, author, and most importantly, your host. On today's episode, Surviving Black Swan Events Through Digital Transformation, with founder and managing director of Burgess Institute, Dan Burgess. Dan, welcome to the show. Thank you, Darren. Thank you for having me. Hey, Dan, before we get kicked off into um, digital transformation and, and the forcing factors around digital transformation for you and your school, let's hear your backstory. People really love to hear where you came from, how, how you got to where you're at today. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I am the managing director and one of the founders of Burgess Institute, which is a Spanish language school for adults headquartered in the U.S. in New York City. I've been running it for uh, I've been running it for ten years, and I mean my background is in education, but I do kind of have an interesting background, and I do a lot of things in the company. So I have an an undergrad degree in music performance. Um, oh wait, yeah, you you hit a you hit a hot spot for me. I love music. So <laughs> what music performance? What what um, singing? Cello, uh, guitar, violin. and anything with a strings that is tuned in fourths, I can manage to play it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. So classical guitar primarily? Uh, primar uh, electric guitar mostly, although I'm a big flamenco aficionado. I, am, I don't play flamenco at a professional level. I can play other stuff at a professional level. Uh, but these days I've, I spend my time like playing a lot of flamenco. Oh, that's, that's, that's wonderful. Um, I love music. All my kids play instruments, um, of one, one way or another or seeing or whatever. So, um, I think it's wonderful. So, all right. How does a, how does a, 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 a musician end up teaching and now starting a school? <laughs> yeah. So, well, after my undergrad, I did a master's degree in education and, uh, there is, you know, that is when I uh, did the switch. I already had experience teaching music. I've basically taught uh, music, uh, Spanish, and also like different like uh, coding or programming stuff. Those are the three things oh. I'm like most comfortable with. Uh, so yeah, I do have like a background in arts and music in particular. And then I have a master's degree in teaching. My main background is in education. And then I do have like some like technical uh, computer skills. Like I learned to code back in high school and it is something that I've always really liked. So these days I spend most of my time writing code for the school. That is like the main, the main thing that I do. Oh, that's wonderful. Um, so yeah, that is, that is basically like where, where we are at right now. So I've been running Virgin Institute for 10 years, as I said, uh, we were an in-person school until 2020, mostly we already had uh, online classes in 2019. And then during COVID, we did, you know, like a complete transformation and went 100% online. Okay, so your school, your in-person school, is that in New York City and in other places throughout the United States? 
So before we were in, COVID hit, uh, in New York City and Chicago and downtown Chicago. Okay, so New York and downtown Chicago, mm-hmm. um, March thirteenth, twenty twenty. I know the day because it was a Friday the thirteenth. Mm-hmm. Um, everything shut down. Yeah, and and it was not just in the U.S. It was worldwide. Everything mm-hmm. shut down. Yeah. How did what happened to you guys when that happened? Yeah. So I I was. Uh, I was on vacation actually during those days. I was in uh, Las Vegas and driving around the Navajo Nation in those days with a friend. We almost canceled the trip. We decided not to cancel it. So this was like a few days before that, maybe like around the 7th or the 8th of March. And yeah, like while we were like in the middle of the Navajo Nation with no uh, cell phone connectivity or anything, we stopped at a Burger King that is like right in the middle. Uh, they had like the TV on in there. We connected to our, you know, to the Wi-Fi, and it looked like the world was ending. Uh, my friend, like his flight back to Europe was canceled, and I had a lot of messages like from family members and from my partner telling me like we have to, you know, close the school and like uh, move all the classes online. So I spent like the rest of uh, my vacation in the hotel, like working on this. Uh, like, thankfully, we already had online classes and we had, like, all the infrastructure for, like, having online classes. So it was, like, very painless, uh, like, you know, the technical aspect of moving all the classes online. So in two days, we had pretty much, like, moved everything online. We were very fast. Uh, we did it, like, before, like, the actual lockdown, you know, like, uh, was enforced, uh, you know, like, a few days before. And yeah, it was it was like uh, very painless in a way. So, so a big question then: you'd already started moving to online. Mm-hmm. How long? How long did that take to do your first to move from in person to online? What was that like? Or did you already have that kind of in your mind that you wanted to move in that direction from the beginning? Uh-huh. Well, uh, no. Still, uh, we believed then that there was more value on in-person classes. And that is something that I no longer believe. Um, Oh, interesting. Yeah, it is different. Like there are pros and cons. The thing was that uh, before COVID, um, people were not that used to online classes. Like maybe, I mean, a lot of colleges had online programs and stuff, but in our case, uh, where, you know, most of our students are like professionals in like different settings. Uh, you know, like our students were not that used to online classes. So it was even like difficult, like explaining to them, like how to log into the platform uh, and stuff like that, which is something that now it's like ubiquitous and everybody like, yeah, everyone knows how to do yeah, it. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, uh, like uh, there were like two challenges, like one of them is technical and one of them is like the educational aspect, like the educational aspect like it is absolutely different like being in person or uh, or being online there are pros and cons Let, let's talk before you jump into let's talk about the technical thing first mm-hmm. and then we'll talk about the cultural shift with your okay. students and also the business so uh-huh. on the technical side did you guys build your own platform or did you leverage something that already existed? Uh-huh. Are you in the cloud or how, how, where, how did you make those decisions? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So for the actual classes uh, right now, we use Zoom. Back then we used, uh, we used uh, BlueJeans, which was bought by Verizon during the pandemic and it shut down. In the middle, we tried to deploy our own big blue button server. 
this was just a few months ago. But that is like only the actual infrastructure for the actual classes. So at the end, we've, uh, we've moved to Zoom and it's great. But there's like a lot of other infrastructure that is related to that, which was the big challenge, you know, the whole uh, scheduling thing. Uh, you know, while like if if you are having like uh, asynchronous, like pre-recorded classes and you are selling them on any platform for that, it is very straightforward. Like the object that you are selling is a pre-recorded class and you just have right. a paywall for people to access it. When it's synchronous, it gets pretty complicated because you have like people's schedules. You have at the time we have like physical rooms and virtual rooms. Uh, you have uh, students who have like a package or a subscription to be able to access X amount of classes. So it gets pretty complicated. So we have been working already for years in our own platform, which like we developed ourselves. It's built, it's written on PHP, uh, on object-oriented modern PHP, not uh -huh. like the spaghetti PHP from like 15 <laughs> years ago. Um, we use Laravel as the framework and uh, it is it is actually pretty nice. We built it uh, back then when we had both online and in-person classes. Uh, so the abstractions like are very nice. We spend a lot of time thinking about them and they kind of map like what we have, you know, which is like students, teachers, rooms, uh, courses that have classes, classes have a time and a duration, etc. So we already had that infrastructure in place that we had been working on for a while. So, so you leverage Zoom and then mm -hmm. you built your own scheduling software and, mm -hmm. and tracking software. Is that hosted in the cloud? Is that in your mm -hmm. own data center? So, so it's in have, the cloud. Yeah, It's in the cloud. So you don't have any CapEx costs per se. Um, that's a yeah. major shift from what mm -hmm. you had that before. That is a major shift. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Uh, so yeah, it is, it is still complex. Like I talk about that a lot. Like there was the technical, the technical aspect, the educational aspect, and there was also a marketing aspect, right? And with this marketing aspect, it is one thing, you know, when you are in person and you have like two big schools in downtown New York City and Chicago, uh, people know automatically you're a big, serious school. When you're just on the internet and you have like some infrastructure in AWS, you yeah, know, they, they is, don't know. <laughs> exactly. Like it, it is a challenge to like convince people that you are a big, serious school it's with a big history and that you are not like, you know, yeah, it's just Dan running it yeah. out of his basement, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so it, it is way cheaper, of course, than like having, you know, like uh, 3,000 square feet in midtown Manhattan. Uh, it is very complex, though, uh, in some way, like there was some complexity in managing, like, you know, the, the in-person schools, uh, you know, you have, you have like leases, insurance, you have like water leaks and systems to prevent water leaks, etc. There is a lot of complexity in a similar way, like in, in being in the cloud, but it's kind of amazing these days how like small companies like us can have this infrastructure that like back then only like big companies could have, you know, like, uh, yeah, we yeah. have, yeah, we have like several servers that are stateless behind a load balancer. It's, it's kind of amazing. Um, so, so that's a, that's an interesting question. If, if COVID didn't happen, mm -hmm. would you guys still be an online? Would you, would you be an in-person school with some online? Did COVID yeah. force you to, to really look at your business model completely differently? Uh, yes and no. I think it just accelerated it. We were already, yeah, okay. like it was going to happen eventually. It just like made it happen faster. And thankfully we had the all infrastructure in place. All right, cool. All right. So 
Technically, you guys are already down this route, but it included a lot of custom work that you had to do. Mm -hmm. What about for your students that you already had and the cultural change, mm -hmm. both for your students and also for you and your business partners? Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, at the beginning, uh, it was kind of uh, like something that everybody had to go along with. So in a way, like the whole thing, like made our students like get used to it. So it was supposed to be temporary at the beginning, but then we didn't reopen in person until September 2021. So it was like uh, more than a year and a half later. So back then, by then our students were like really used to, to the new model. Our teachers were used to it. Uh, we like the two business partners were used to it. We reopened in person and only some people came back. Like most people stayed online. Like it has, online. you know, the pros outweighed the cons. Like there's pros and cons, but the, the pros. Hey, so have you gone completely online. online? No more in person? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we had in person classes in New York City. We never reopened in Chicago, but in New York City, we had throughout 2022. And in December 2022, we closed down uh, our last classroom space in Manhattan and went 100% online. But yeah, but even by then, like maybe 70% of our students were taking only online classes. Online. Even so to, like, what, was it complicated to run both in-person and online? I mean, that, that increased mm -hmm. your cost yeah. um, and, and administrative overhead, right? Uh -huh. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, but I mean, we had less space by then. Uh, and it was like the same thing that we were doing before the pandemic, oh, okay. just with, yeah. with different percentages. So, yeah, uh, the administration wasn't like particularly more difficult or anything. It was just that the, the attendance wasn't there. Well, did you did you and your partners have any hesitation um, going fully online? What, and, and what was the hesitation? <laughs> uh, yes, uh, I mean, the, the thing was like, will we lose the students that... Yeah. After like, you know, a year and a half, like wanted to go back online. And I mean, we didn't, we, we lost a few people, but most people stayed with us online uh, because they like our program better. Uh, so yeah, I mean, at the end, like the, the metrics were clear and, and it was a good decision in hindsight. Or right, now, what about your professors? What mm -hmm. about your teachers? Right? Yeah, I think they they enjoyed uh, working from home, like from the beginning, like we got feedback about it. Uh, like a lot of them uh, who were in New York, they had no problem like going back to in person when we reopened. Uh, like there was like some uh, administrative overhead in that, you know, in that they were teaching both online and in person. So we had to work a little bit, you know, on the, on the scheduling for that, but it was fine. And I mean, at the end, like they've got used to it and I'm pretty sure most of them like prefer to, to teach online. It's just more convenient. Yeah. They can be at home in their pajamas. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or anywhere in the world. That's another mm -hmm. interesting thing. Yeah. Have you expanded uh, the number of students that you have uh, because mm -hmm. you can go into more markets? Yeah, 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 we have. Uh, we are uh, marketing ourselves in, in other English-speaking countries, and we already have, like, several students in in Europe. Uh, we have a couple in Australia. We have, like, uh, 
in Canada we have uh, a lot more and we even have like one or two in India and someone in the uh in the Emirates so yeah like we've we've been able to oh wow yeah and then your so teachers absolutely. as well can now be spread out mm-hmm. anywhere yeah. right yeah, yeah yeah absolutely so in fact you yourself you're not living in the US anymore you're mm, in no. you're in Spain yeah i'm i'm in madrid right now my partner is in los angeles right now so uh, yeah <laughs> that's awesome and so are you originally from you're originally from madrid area or yeah i'm i'm originally for uh from madrid i spent the past 15 years in the us and i just came back uh, a few months ago oh that that's wonderful um can you give us a sense of any lessons learned if if i'm starting a company and I'm, I'm doing it, you have the benefit of doing it brick and mortar first and then moving to online. If you were to start um, a business today fully online and you don't have to go through the digital transformation and you're just doing digital, mm-hmm. what advice would you give to pe- uh, listeners out there? Yeah. So uh, my, my main advice would be, uh, uh, just like learn about uh, not necessarily to code, but how coding and programming works just because, you know, it is something that you're going to have to work with. And the main thing that happens in my experience to small companies is that they start uh, hiring uh, freelancers for, for their infrastructure. And if your business logic is slightly complex, which a lot of, which is the case for a lot of companies, you will end up with an unmaintainable, unsustainable uh, code base that is a nightmare for everybody. So it's fine. You don't have to learn to code and code it yourself, but uh, work with uh, people, even if it's freelancers, that can get involved, can understand the business logic and have and can have creative leverage to design along with you. Uh, it is very so, so are you saying from, adapt yeah. your business adapt your business workflows as well instead yeah. of just coding to business workflows maybe adapt them to be easier to work with is that what i'm hearing uh yes and just uh make sure that the code base is maintainable and that is like something that is very difficult to to accomplish uh and for that you kind of need like the developers whoever they are to be like fairly involved and understand your business really well and have a lot of creative leverage. Uh, in a way, you cannot, in if your business logic is slightly complex, you cannot work like project, like you would do in brick and mortar with like, I don't know, fixing a roof. It doesn't work like that. You really need to develop a relationship with your developers and over time, spend hours, spend more hours thinking about the abstractions than actually coding. I, I like that. Spend more time on the design mm-hmm. and the analysis up front. Um, yeah, I, I run into that problem myself, right? I'm a software engineer as well, Dan. So I, I love doing it, even though that's not what I do every day. Well, I do it every day for myself because uh, I enjoy it. But I have found if I just start coding without understanding the abstractions, I code myself into a circle. Mm-hmm. Um, as you probably know, since you started coding yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, great. If people want to find out more about your institute, if want if they want to learn about Spanish, if they want to, you know, um, where do they find out more information? 
Uh-huh. Yeah, so they can just Google Burgess Institute or visit us at BurgessInstituteSpanish.com. Uh, we offer a 15-day free trial, so anyone can go there and take a couple classes during that free trial. Uh, our method is highly deductive as opposed to like inductive methods of learning. So we explain the grammar rules first and then we practice them. So it is a method that works really well for people that like uh, logical learning, like very logical programs. Very good. Okay, here's the next big question. Castilian or (laughs) Hispanic Spanish? (laughs) Yeah, so... I mean, we try to keep it uh, very international somehow. Uh, in general, sometimes we have to make decisions, you know, with like certain words, like which word to put it. A lot of times we try to put them in context. I mean, in general, we don't tend to pronounce the Castilian the, the fricative, with uh-huh. beginners. Uh, pronouncing it as an S is easier for everybody. Beginners in general shouldn't worry that much about the accent. You kind of really have to be an advanced uh, at an advanced level to worry about that. And other than that, we have the vosotros conjugation, the second person plural that is only used in Spain. Right. In the textbooks, we don't have them in our exams. That is kind of our concept. Okay, that's good. Because <laughs> yeah. I, when I learn Portuguese, I learn Brazilian Portuguese, mm-hmm. which is very similar to um, South American or Central American Spanish. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I actually taught Portuguese, but I had to teach... Portugal Portuguese, more formal, and the accent was completely different. So I know exactly what you're talking about. Um, Dan, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. I think I think my audience has learned a lot from your transformation, and thank you for sharing your story. Yeah, thank you, Darren. Thank you for having me. It's been great uh, being in the podcast. Thank you for listening to Embracing Digital Transformation today. If you enjoyed our podcast, Give it five stars on your favorite podcasting site or YouTube channel. You can find out more information about Embracing Digital Transformation at embracingdigital.org. Until next time, go out and embrace the digital revolution.